apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, that we all come in the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, and to a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature, stature of the fullness of Christ. And so as a result, what we're saying that that uh, the purpose of the ministry is to give you direction. The purpose of the ministry is to help you structure your life. That is a very, very important thing. A very important thing. We're living in an age that resents authority. It resents leadership. It really does. Uh, isn't it true that so often you run into people that don't want to be told anything and they don't want to be helped? You know, I'm just sorry to tell you that if, if you don't like that, then you probably, you're in the wrong place. I, that's all I can say. Now, somebody's going to say, well, no pastor will ever tell me how to live. I will. And if you don't like it, then you just, you just bump shoulders with the wrong guy, yes. But I want to love you. I want to help you. But I want you to know that I'd rather you go to heaven after you've gotten over some bad feelings and maybe than I have to see you drift off into the ways of darkness feeling good about my ministry and about me as a person. I love your soul more than I love your friendships. I really do. I really love your soul. I want to see you saved. We want you to understand something about Calvary Gospel Church. Just about the structure of our service. Sunday morning is dedicated altogether for evangelism. We have more visitors on Sunday morning than any other service. Last Sunday morning in the adult class, <coughs> after I asked for a report from the role, we had 73 visitors in the adult class last Sunday morning. Praise God. Did you say praise the Lord for that? Praise the Lord. I don't know how many visitors we have downstairs, but please, do you understand and you know why we use Sunday morning exclusively for evangelism? So if you're new in God, you're going to pick up a lot through the preaching on Sunday morning. But Sunday morning is not structured nor designed for your personal growth. Now, naturally, you're going to grow by helping other people. But when you come on Sunday morning, it's let me teach downstairs or let me work on the bus or let me do something for somebody else. It's an avenue in which you can disperse, give out. That's part of being a Christian. That's, that's part of being a Christian. The Christian that develops the attitude that I always have to be taken in, you know what's going to happen to him? He will become what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians, the third chapter, an enemy to the cross of Christ. He gets into this syndrome where he just evolves around the cross. And it's, what can you do for me, Pastor? What can you tell me, Pastor? What can you do for me, Church? And that is a very bad syndrome to get into. You just evolve in silence, round and round and round. After a while, you're expecting everybody to give to you. If you're new in the Lord, the best thing that you can learn to do is to take in when it's taken in time and give out when it's given out time. Yeah. Okay? Sunday morning is giving out time. Now, Sunday night's giving out, but it's taking in, too. And Thursday night, it's taking in all the way. Okay? So we got one service that we give out, one service we give out and take in, one service we take in. 
Now that's a pretty good healthy diet. You know? Really it is. Now, I'm going to be talking about some things because it's giving out and taking in on Sunday night. I'm going to be talking about some things tonight going to cross across some rough ground. And uh, I'll just say this one off. This is really a continuation of my Sunday morning message. I preached this morning, and I just made a statement. I said, maybe I'll finish tonight. Well, I had another message that I want to talk about. And after I prayed about this afternoon, I prayed about it. I couldn't get away from this. I said, I've got to finish it. All right. I've got to finish it. Okay? <clears throat> now, also last Thursday evening, I made reference to the fact that we had 42 people absent in the evening service. Actually, after I got home, I got to counting, we had about 54 people absent. Now, we've been having about 70, 50, 60, 70 visits on Sunday morning. Thursday night, we're going to have about 45, 50, sometimes up to 60 people absent. Now, I'm not really happy with that. Now, please understand, you don't come to church to make me happy. You understand that. You don't. You don't come to church to make me happy. And please don't come just so that I will be happy. But I'd like to call your attention. I have never seen a strong Christian who, number one, always jump from church to church. Okay? Now, we got some people here that float around from church to church. You were some other place last Thursday night, and next Thursday night or Wednesday night, you'll be some other place. You may say, you disagree with that? Oh, yes, I do. Oh, yes, I strongly disagree with that. You may say, why, Brother Grant? Well, first place, if you went to another United Pentecostal church, you wouldn't be structured like this. Now, please understand that I'm talking about people that have this chronic problem, this chronic addict. For years and years and years, they just jump around, jump around. Brother Jerry Whitman is here with us, and they're planning on making a change and going over to a condo wall. And they're here because he states that they don't have a service in, in the Carnival on Sunday night. So uh, that's a different situation. They live about seven miles from the church there in the Carnival. And uh, certainly, I believe Brother Kyle is a great man of God, and I do not disagree with them going. But I'm talking about people just float, even sometimes from denomination to denomination. I believe that Christ is so designed in the New Testament Scripture that every person put himself under some leadership and that it be structured for the individual. Now, I understand that people disagree with me, but I've just never yet seen a strong Christian that jumped from church to church. And secondly, I've never seen a strong Christian in this church all the time. Now, you show me somebody just comes every now and then, or whatever they want to, and I'll show you a person who's got spiritual problems. Amen. I had real spiritual problems. You may say, well, Brother Graham, to what extent do you think a person ought to go to church every time he gets a chance? That's right. I mean, really, he should. He really should. He should go to church every time he gets a chance. That's right. Now, all of our people came every time. 
if they could, we'd already have the auditorium full. Now, I'm not going to let you sit on a pew and warm this pew and have the Lord Jesus Christ come back and you'd be lost. Now, if you do that, you're going to do it because you go against what I tell you. You understand what I'm saying? I'm interested in you. Listen, friend, when I started preaching the gospel a long time ago, it was for keeps with me. It was for good. You understand what I'm saying? It's not me. Now, there is a scripture in the Bible that says for Satan not the assembling of ourselves together. And so much the more as we see the day approaching. You remember me telling you about a story, a story rather about my life, how that God showed me a church in Shawano that I was to bind before I moved up there. You remember that? How many of you remember that? I told that story not too long ago. Now, I took money, my own personal money, and put down on that church and bought it. And I won't tell you how I, how I handled it. Okay? Now, I'm throwing all this in for reading scripture text. I went to Dolan Spears' church on Sunday night, Sunday morning. No, it was on Sunday night, pardon me. And I preached there. And Sister Spears got up, and I needed to sell my home. And I'd already made the commitment to the real estate firm in Shawano that we'd buy that church, sight unseen. Now, I did it because I had a dream about it. Now, where are you going to get the money? I don't know. I've got to sell my house. But I'll have the money when I get there. Don't you sell it until you personally call me. He told me, he said, I won't do it until I call you. I'll give you a call. Now, I don't really know what he was done. If somebody had offered, made an offer, I'm not for sure. I'm sure there are legal things that he'd have to do in this type, you know, this, that, and the other. Brother Manning would tell me about all those things. But I prayed. And during my message that night, I just said, now, I'm planning on moving, and I've got to leave for Wisconsin on Monday morning, a week from now. Now, I don't really know, and I don't have this household. Sister Spears got up and said, The Lord has impressed me that if we pray an intercessory prayer tonight for Brother Grant, this house will be sold this time next Sunday night. So Brother Spears had them all get out on their knees after I finished preaching. He invited me back the next Sunday morning, not to speak. But he knew that I was going to be in the area, and he said, Why don't you come? That you had somebody else. Yes, his father-in-law that was speaking. But you come back next Saturday, Sunday night and you preach for us then. Well, I was getting all ready to go to Sunday school on Sunday morning, and I got this long-distance telephone call from Cushion, Texas. And was 50-something miles there. And the lady says, we saw your ad in the Nacogdoches newspaper, and we're traveling through. We went by and looked at the house. We would like for you to come down right now now remember, we had already prayed that we'd sell the house by that Sunday night. And she said, could you meet us? How far are you? And I said, about 50, 55 miles, maybe 60 miles from where you are. Could you meet us there in one hour? I said, no, ma'am, I can't. Well, she said, uh, we're traveling through. It's a very important thing. We'd like to buy this.
this house. We're looking for a place to retire. We don't know for sure what city we're going to retire in, but we'd like to look at, the, look at this house. And she asked me, why can't you tell me? I said, I'm getting ready to go to church. She said, you mean to tell me you wouldn't miss a church service to sell a home? I said, no matter what. I'm sorry. She said, well, I've never seen anything like this in my life. I said, no, I just wonder. I'm sorry. I feel I need God, folks. I wasn't preaching. But I know the value of Christian fellowship. If this house sells by tonight, it'll be because of their prayers. And I'm supposed to forsake their fellowship after they have paid me such a compliment as to believe God that I would say. I'll not do it. That's what was going on in my mind. She says, okay. But she said, we're on our way to someplace out West Texas. What's the best you can do? I said, well, I can meet you at 1.30. She said, I'll tell you what. We'll drive on to Tyler, Texas. You and me, it's at 1.30. And we'll go down to the house. I went to Sunday school. Got in my car and drove to Tyler, Texas. Picked them up, took them down. They looked through the house. And the lady pulls out her checkbook and she wants to know, should I pay you now? Huh? And I didn't know what to do. I said, well, I don't think if you sell a house that you're just supposed to pay it like this. <laughs> I'm serious with you. Is that right, Sister I mean, she had the checkbook. I said, no, I don't think you're supposed to do it like this. <laughs> we'll call tomorrow and get a lawyer. She gave me $500 down. We called the next day, got a lawyer, went in and closed the house. I put the money in my pocket, moved to Sean over to our church. I don't regret that. I think it's one of the best things I've ever done in my life. Now, I didn't really feel that way when I was working on the house. Sister Diane wanted to testify on that. I'm sorry, I just forgot, Sister Diane. You know, I was pastoring full-time, working on a job and building this house and working to 1.30 and 2 o'clock in the morning. And I had reported 7 o'clock on the job. Now, I lost a lot of weight. <laughs> And I worked myself to death. But I felt good about it. And when I think of the church in Shano and see the souls that found God there, listen, there is nothing in the world that we ever fell about you. Except eternity when it comes around. I'm not here to pat myself on the back. But I'm here to say, I have never yet seen a person sold out. To God who attended church regularly, who were non-productive Christian men. You show me an individual who loves the Lord, loves a family of God, loves to be with people of like precious faith, loves the Bible, loves to talk about God, and I'll show you a person that is a fulfilled person. Some of you struggled with this idea. I remember 
what some of you were telling me. Well, I don't know if I need to come to every service or not. I don't get that much out of it. Sure, you learn. But it really wasn't God's fault. Isn't that right? You know, the old saying is, if you want to eat, you got to open your mouth. And that's what we come here tonight to do. I believe Rex not trying to stand up here and sound like a tiger. Please understand that I am not. But I believe, beyond a shadow of doubt, that Christianity deserves to hold a place in your life. It deserves to be number one. Said of Judas, it would have been better that he'd never been born. And to have known all the things he knew about Jesus. And then he played. It would have been better off to have never heard. And know all the things that I know. And not live. And not tell you that. You want to go to heaven? I've read it. I want to go there. I want to go to heaven more than anything else in this world. I must go to heaven. I started out to go to heaven. In the Bible this morning, we brought to our people that were here, some of you were teachers, so you didn't hear it, the parable of what? The soil. The soil. Not the sower and not the seed. Matthew 13, there is a parable given. And we sometimes think that this is a parable of the sower. Now, I don't really know how we ever came across that. Because when I examine the plot of the story, it really has nothing to do with the sower nor the seed. The plot is dealing with the ground, the soil, the condition of the heart. So the focus is taken off the man that's preaching the message, the focus is taken off the things that he's preaching. I'm talking about in this parable. And the real emphasis is placed on you. You understand what we're saying? Now that's not to say the preacher's not important, and it's not to say that his message is not important. I'm talking about this parable. The emphasis is not on the pulpit, but the emphasis is in the pew. Why did Jesus take the emphasis off of himself so much and place it on the people? He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Did not he say that many times? Sure, he said that. And we believe it. When he went to his hometown of Nazareth, he could do no great works because of their unbelief. Now Christ was the same. He was the same in Bethany. He was the same in Bethsaida. He was the same in Jerusalem. He was the same in Jericho. And he was the same in Nazareth. But he did not have the same results as he began to preach to people. He did no great works in his hometown, Nazareth, because of their unbelief. You know, you think about a great man like Jesus. And every place he went, that they brought their cripples, that they jumped up and walked away. They didn't do that, friend. 
not get their healing. There were people that were bound, that were not released. There were men that walked into that city, no doubt, whose backs were, were twisted and warped and turned over. These men had never had the privilege of looking at the birds flying in the air and seeing the top of the trees. And when they walked out of the city, much to their disappointment, they were just like they were when they came. Now, I talked about this, this this morning. We're just laying a little groundwork. We talked about only one type of soil, and that was the wayside soil. That's the soil that's so hard that the seed will not even germinate in it. Okay? The fowls of the air come by, and they pick up the seed. You remember this morning how that I told our congregation that there were many people who walked with Satan and they actually just, I really do believe, just as God has a hedge built around us, the angels of God encamp around and about those that love him and fear him. Read Psalm 91. A thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh unto thee. Neither shall any plague come nigh unto thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all my ways. He goes on and talks about the protecting hand of God. Praise God. I believe that God's built a hedge around me. And I don't believe the devil can touch me unless God allows him to touch me. And I believe there are certain times that the devil were to touch me, I'd crumble. I believe it's by the mercies of God that he doesn't let him in there. I believe there's a time in every man's life when he would fall under satanic pressures. I believe the only time that God lets the devil attack me and touch me is when he carefully analyzes my consecration and my walk. Friend, in every trial and every temptation, he makes a way of escape. He knows that I can endure it. And he does not allow one thing to come upon me that I am not able to bear. I do believe, however, there are times that if the devil just came by and he had the power just to scare all the angels off, I believe I'd crumble. But just as much as I believe that God has built a hedge around those that love him, I believe the devil carefully guards his own with devils from hell. And the wayside soil is a type of soil that, that you know before the gospel message ever touches the person, you know what happens? The demons are pulling it down and trampling on it. Yeah, you're well protected. The preacher can't touch you. The saints can't touch you. And you won't let God touch you. You're well protected. But you're protected by evil forces that someday will laugh in your face when you burn in hell. Now, I'm not trying to get off on something that's, that's way woolly and something's way indifferent. But do you believe that God can save anybody? Do you believe that God can save just anybody? I don't. You may say, well, Brother Grant, I thought his power is great enough and powerful enough to save anybody. 
Right. And someplace in your individual life, you must approach that time in which you want to be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him, whosoever will, whosoever wants to be, whosoever desires to be, shall be saved. But the man that doesn't want to be, the man that doesn't desire to be, the man that doesn't care to be, friend, God has not designed in his program a plan to take you out of the jaws of hell that holds you. And you see, sin is designed to destroy your will. You see, the more you're involved in sin, the more you want to sin. And the more you sin, the more your resistance to God is built up. I mean, isn't it true that you can take some people whose minds have been so distorted by drugs and you talk to them about Jesus? And friend, to talk to them about Jesus is almost like talking to them about uh, some secret formula to split the atoms. They don't have the least earthly idea as to what you're talking about. They cannot comprehend. You see, that's what sin is designed to do. Now, I can't have a belief that the writer of the book of Hebrews in the 10th chapter, verse 26... He said, if you sin willfully, after that you have a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. That written in the context in which it's written, it's saying that Calvary's blood is not powerful enough to cover willful sin. If you sin and you want to sin and you like it, friend, Calvary's blood was not designed to cover willful sin. It takes away only sin that you have lamented over sin that you feel sorrowful about but the whole purpose of sin is to destroy your will and hold you captive so the devil has a very careful hedge built up around you he doesn't want me to get in there he doesn't want anybody else to get in there Now, I'm not going to say on this one all night. Wayside. Wayside. Isn't it true that a lot of your preaching and teaching to people seems to be wasted and non-productive? I don't know why it's that way. I know what the Scripture says that the Word of God will not return to us void. I believe every time the Word of God goes out, it accomplishes something. But as I spoke to you this morning, I talked about the two things that the Word of God accomplishes when it goes out. It will either draw you or drive you. It will either save you or condemn you. It will either purge you or it will make you so full of hatred and jealousy and envy and iniquity that your soul will be like a dirty purge cage. John the Baptist steps upon the threshing floor and he preaches a message about Jesus Christ that's coming. And he said, when Jesus gets here, his hand, his fan is going to be in his hand. 
And he's going to take and trample on the grain. And he said he's going to separate the good from the bad, the chaff from the wheat. You see, that's what happens when the preacher preaches. It'll either draw you or it'll drive you. Listen, what I'm saying tonight in my remarks prior to my preaching, don't let it drive you away from God. Be honest enough and be sincere enough to look in the Bible and see what the Bible says about some of these things before you prejudge me. Okay, I say before you prejudge me, look in the scripture to find out if I'm telling you the truth. But John the Baptist said Jesus is going to have a fan in his hand. And he said he's going to separate the good from the bad. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to go over and he's going to sweep up all the chaff. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to burn it with unquenchable fire. The wayside. The wayside saw. The parable of Wayside soil. Rocky ground. Rocky ground. Let's talk about rocky ground, okay? Matthew 13. The second place that Jesus spoke of. In Matthew 13, 5, some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness. They had no what? They had no deepness of earth. Some people don't like to admit it, but they're very shallow individuals. Isn't it true that we have baptized many, many people that when the preacher preaches, they come and surrender their heart to God? But you never see them again. Tribulation trials come by, he just kind of withers and falls out. 
the emphasis should not be placed on the pulpit, but the pew. And in this parable, the villain or the hero is not the preacher, but the man that hears. It's not the parable of the sower. It's not the parable of the seed. It's the parable of the ground. The parable of the sower. Paul said, Yea, and every man that shall live God in this present world shall suffer the persecutions of the flesh. I often wonder what some people are made of. You may say, but Brother Grant, you can't understand all the trouble that came my right way when I gave my life to God. I'd say that you're a puppet on string to the devil also. That when you were in the world, you were always discouraged and despondent. That somebody was always hurting your feelings. You may say, why would you say that? Because if the Holy Ghost that was put in your heart caused you to be like that, friend, I question the validity of God's Holy Spirit. But the reason why you're that way now and the reason why you were that way before you came to God is because you depended on human effort to make the difference. And the difference is in the power of the Holy Ghost that keeps you strong. When tribulations come, friend, they ought to drag you back to Calvary, drag you back to nail prints, drag you back to the hole in the side of the master that purged you from your sin. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Now, nobody likes trouble, and nobody likes trial, and nobody likes tribulation. And I'm not saying that you ought to just go out and ask for it. But it's going to come to you and it's going to come to me. Just like it came to Job. And just like it came to the Apostle Paul and other men of the Scripture. But when it comes, friend, I know where my strength comes. The psalmist said, I will lift up my eyes to the hills which come at my strength. Praise God. He wasn't saying that those hills over there gave him strength. But he knew that his Redeemer was a creator. And when he got up on a good clear morning and he could see those towering mountains, they, they spelled out the majestic power of a God that was alive. And he was saying, I don't care what comes or what goes. The God that made the majestic mountains is a God that reigns over my soul. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Friend, we're living in the days that Jesus spoke of at Matthew 25 when he spoke of the five wise and the five foolish virgins. And it may be midnight, but we cannot afford to sleep. Oh, at midnight there was a cry made. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go you out to meet him. I do not know the preacher. I do not know the preacher. I do not know the preacher in the United Pentecostal ranks that doesn't feel that this is the time that we need to make the cry concerning the coming of the bridegroom. It's not time frame for us to sit down on our leaves, so to speak, as the scripture speaks out. Affect a fixing, a fixing force and thrust against the forces of hell. That's why we run our buses. That's why we have our campus ministry. That's why we study a Christian school. We are driving back the forces of hell that hold the souls of men. We are not holding the souls of men. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I say we are not holding the void. 
wrong pew. <laughs> I say you're sitting on the wrong pew. God never gave you the Holy Ghost to make you feel comfortable for my preaching. Spiritually speaking, we have stuffed so many second-rate items in the briefcase of our soul that we don't have enough room for the book of life. Right. Now let me tell you something. The problem with Americans and the problem with many people of Calvary Gospel Church is, listen to me, you've got too many sidelines. You may say, well, Pastor Brown, how many are too many? When your attention is thwarted away from the Word of God, you may only have one, but that one is too many. I say when your attention is taken away from the Word of God, you may only have one, but that one is too many.
when Jesus gave the parable of the man that built his house on the sand. You know, there's one thing that Jesus always talked about. He never came too hard against the harvest. He never came too hard against the murderers. Did you notice that in the scripture? You know who he came hard against? He came hard against people who were suffering from spiritual insanity. People that weren't thinking right. He talked about a man was building a house, friend. Now he's talked about spiritual things. He said one man builds a house on sand, another man builds a house on a rock. Friend, the rank sinner that's out there is not building a house for anybody in the place. He was talking about a man that thought he was doing so good and he puts it all together. But the problem is, he has no foundation. Jesus is saying, you people get your lives upside down. The strongest part of your building ought to be the part that nobody sees. It's the basis for your existence. It's the part that sucks on. It's the part that you have to get to find. But we're too busy in America keeping up with the Joneses. We sit in front of televisions for hours. disposal. You've got two or three vacuum cleaners. 
have. This simply means that you ought to be able to go through your house and whip it all out the hay. But for the first time in the history of the Americans, we're saying, we don't have time for God. With all of the things that God has given to us, oh, I would hate to stand on judgment day and with my two eyes, pure the eyes of a master that bled and died and suffered for me, and me to say, I don't have time, Lord, to do your work. There is a potential of a beautiful garden in your soul, but it's a jungle. It's a jungle of productivity, but it's growing the wrong things. And it's choking out your spiritual existence. Here in church, here in church, here in church. Somehow I can't help but believe that Michael or Gabriel, whoever's going on the trumpet, stands in awe to await the day in which he can put his lips to the brass and sound that and make that eternal call for God's children to come home. While we sit on fat billfolds and live in nice homes and drive nice cars and do nothing with what God has given to us. Nothing wrong with these things. They make a beautiful garden, but the problem is they're second rate to Calvary's message. Please understand, I don't condemn them. But please understand that I'm making it very clear to you that if that be your calling in life, friend, you've got a vine that's, that's twining around your throat that's going to choke you. It's going to bury you into non-productivity until the day, I say until the day, that the soldiers march across the hills of Palestine for the battle, the last battle to be fought before the millennium. Yeah. Oh, God. You may say, Pastor, you get so upset. Oh, I can have a belief that there are millions of souls in this world that would accept the message if somehow we were serious enough about it. You got neighbors that need God. You don't have time for them. Isn't that true? I feel real ashamed. I've got a neighbor that lives back of me. I've never met him. All of my neighbors on both sides and talk, but I just haven't spent the time to the other day. God talked to my heart. I got up and I went over there again. I said, You know, you've been living here some time. I'm sorry that I didn't come to meet you. I don't really know why I didn't. I guess maybe I used excuse not to this. But I'm John Grant. And I'd like to become better acquainted with you. But I was saying, I'm telling you who I am. Did you know I'm sitting around the yard? I used to make that music and talk to you myself. And they've been in there like Jim McCoy. But I wrote children to that. never talked to me about that. But Jim didn't know how to do that. I didn't that. I believe that God put me there and put Jim there for the same purpose that he put me where you are. I do not believe that my life is just by chance or coincidence. And friend, I'll not leave my future up for grabs. So that the outcome.
if the soil is right, our garden will grow without attention. But it won't grow the right stuff. Two years ago, we planted our last garden. We didn't plant one last year. I told the boys, I told Sister Grant, now look, we can have a garden, but now you boys have to keep it. Hold it. So we plant the garden. And we have the tallest garden in the neighborhood. Mm. It was at least this high. Mm. All over. Mm. I went out to look for tomatoes. I think I found one. <laughs> you see, gardens will grow without attention. But they produce the wrong stuff. <laughs> and you must say, Brother Grant, in essence, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say, how come, how come we have long, long lines waiting to get into amusement places in this world? I don't have long lines of people waiting to teach Sunday school. No. Why? Because you see, what we have failed to realize, we feel that we need the sun and the rain, but we don't need the hoe. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, give me the spirit. Praise God. Give me the spirit, Pastor. And so I'm preaching messages and make you jump up around the eyes. Give me the sunshine, God. Give me that tickling, exciting feeling. That's good. So to speak, it's real good fertilizer for the garden. Grows things tall. But we don't have long lines of people that want to work on the bus ministry. We don't have long lines of people waiting to get on the prayer chain. We don't have long lines of people eager to get into the ministry. When can I start preaching that again? You understand what I'm saying? Got eight or ten people right now who want to quit what they're doing for God because they say, I don't have time. And if you come to me and tell me that, I'm going to give you a hard time. So you might as well be braced for it. You're not going to get out of that as easy as you think you are. I just canceled out three weeks after church. But really, you don't understand. Yes, I understand, and I understand your Give me what I want so I can grow the kind of stuff that I want to grow in my garden. 
And God is saying, take the whole friend. Take the whole sister. Take the whole brother. You need to cut out some of those things. Jesus went by and said, well, would you come with me to the wedding? Please. And the man says, me. And the Lord says, well, sure. Well, uh, Now, you know what he was doing? He was trying to think of why he shouldn't go rather than, how can I get rid of it all? If you don't want to teach, we don't want you in the classroom. And if you don't want to work on the bus route, we don't want you on the bus route. And if you don't want to do what you're doing, we don't want you there. In fact, you don't deserve to be there. some people want is 
Sometimes I just don't want to finish. Because I've said all I want to say. 